Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton-Rossini. Join us here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Podserve, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. Rebecca Whelan has dedicated her life to helping people eat well, exercise, be the best they can be both physically and mentally, no matter what age or physical limitation. Her new book, Transformational Habits, is just part of her healthy lifestyle philosophy, and uh, she has the education and the certifications to back it up. Yeah, um, I actually just completed my corrective exercise specialization as well, so like one step down from physical therapists. So most of my clients are come to me with um, needs like, you know, arthritis, uh, injuries, hip replacement, knee replacement. So I focus more on that population right now than, you know, just your general personal trainer. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how fit that population is and how badly yeah. they need trainers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, just constantly trying to add new stuff. So, so the book is the latest edition. It is. Well, it is and it isn't because I just started um, a program. I, I work through the Y, so I just started a program that's kind of based a little bit on the book, but it's a seven-week program in person that I just finished putting together. We just started last week was the first week to basically help people through those steps. So. I'm putting together right now, coming, trying to come up with an idea of doing like an e-course so that if people buy the book, they get like a free e-course, kind right. of the same, just to give them more information because the book is very general. I wanted to keep it simple and easy for people to, you know, get the information without becoming overwhelmed. How so. long have you been at this? Um, Since 2013 was when I really kind of got my start at things. And I started actually... Uh, mostly just as a group fitness instructor. I started with yoga and then I kind of developed from there. And your book is Transformational Habits. Yes. So give me an example of a transformational habit. There's actually like nine habits and I wanted to really look at like a full holistic approach of health. So it's not just on diet or exercise. We look at, you know, improving the quality of your sleep, stress reduction, setting good goals, hydration, uh, mindfulness, you know, just finding that mindfulness and everything you do in the um, nutrition realm, um, as well as mindful of how your body's moving and feeling. So, you know, the habits are based around all of those kind of concepts. Okay, can you give me an example of one? One of the habits um, is to move. So <laughs> just move, people, just move, just get up and start moving. Um, most people tend to you know, be very sedentary. And when they think about, okay, now I have to get fit, they become very overwhelmed with, all right, how much cardio do I need to do? And I got to try and get like, you know, 30 minutes every day into my life. However, just start with 10 minutes of, of moving. It might be as simple as going for a walk um, and building upon that. So I don't think people realize that walking is a weight bearing there. exercise. Nobody sure thinks, is. everybody yeah. just thinks it's cardio. Yeah, yeah, no, you're definitely building some strength in your legs, you know, as well as the cardio aspect with walking. Plus it like boosts your mood and 
helps with hormone production. There's so many benefits to walking. Yeah. What about sleep? I feel like there's a lot of sleep issues. There are. Um, a lot of times people base their life on the theory of I'm going to um, get up early and go to bed early during the week, but then on weekends, I'm going to stay up till the crack of dawn, and but I can sleep till noon. And then they find that come Monday morning, all of a sudden their sleep cycle is off. Um, and that's, I think, how most Americans live their lives. They live for the weekends and they don't, and they catch up on their sleep on the weekends. Um, but by throwing off their sleep set cycle during the weekends, the whole rest of their week, they're not getting that good amount of sleep. So most people are sleep deprived, even if they're getting those seven to eight hours of sleep just because they don't have that consistent sleep cycle. So my book kind of addresses that a little bit, basically saying, you know, choose a sleep um, cycle that you can stick to and then stick to it. So, you know, don't, don't change it drastically from your weekends to weekdays and aim for that seven to nine hours if you can. So I've gotten to the point where I have so much anxiety. I'll be, I'll be falling asleep, go to bed. And as soon as I lay my head down, I have anxiety. And then I'm like, okay, should I breathe? Should I take something? Do you mention anything to help you sleep? I do a little bit. Um, it's more based on like coming up with a nighttime routine. Often we go, go, go until it's time to go to bed and then we lay down and our brain hasn't decided that it's time to stop yet. So really coming up with, you know, a good hour nighttime routine where you start to unplug, start to turn off electronics, you know, that wind down, you know, take a warm bath, anything warm, warming your body will help you sleep. So kind of going into that and then sticking with that every, every night, um, you know, whether or not you've been working or whether it's the weekend, find that sleep routine and that should help you get to sleep and stay to sleep without, I'm not a big advocate of using medications of any sort, you know, whether it's nutritional supplements or, you know, sleep aids. Um, just because it's just your body kind of gets dependent on it. And there's so many more natural ways to train your body to do what it's supposed to without using medication. What about nutritional needs? Uh, you know, lack of vitamin D, that's the new thing. Everybody, yeah. everybody walking on the planet now doesn't have enough vitamin <laughs> D because supposedly, I guess, sunscreen is blocking too many rays. But if you get too many rays, you get skin cancer. You know, what would be your recommendation to boost that vitamin D? It, again, no, I don't really recommend supplements. Okay. Um, you can get some vitamin D through food, but just kind of, and you, you don't necessarily need to be out basking in the sun to get your vitamin D. You can be next to a sunny window um, inside, you know, just get that little bit of sun on you. Um, you can be out and wear a hat. There's ways of being outside and not being exposed to the sun, um, you know, limiting your skin cancer and all of that. But mostly for nutrition in my book, I really focus on adding foods to their to your diet. Okay. So making sure that you're getting enough nutrients through your fruits and vegetables um, by adding adding foods, adding whole grains. You know, I try and get away from that limiting belief that everyone you know that wants to get in shape or wants to lose weight, they go on a diet, and all they focus is on is what they can't eat. So they start pulling things out of their diet. Um, they usually become quite unhappy when they can't have their favorite foods. So instead, I always tell my clients, you know, and, and in the book, I say, you know, start by focusing on what you can add to your diet. 
So making sure that half of your plate every day is fruits and vegetables. Um, you still can have, you know, that cheeseburger if you want to. Just make sure you have a salad with it. Um, and you'll find if you start focusing on adding nutritional foods, you won't have room for the bad foods as much. You'll, you'll fill up on those nutritional foods and you'll get most of, most of your vitamins and minerals needed come from a healthy diet. I, I have seen a lot of studies that really kind of have said that they have not proven that taking, you know, vitamins or supplements have really shown the effects that we want to think that they show or that the pharmaceuticals want us to think that they show. So they're really, they're really the most benefits you can get is just having that healthy diet, making sure that you're eating the right foods and getting them in. Do you address intermittent fasting? That's also very popular right now. You see it on the web all the time. Yeah, I don't really address it in, you know, indirectly, but however, I do strongly say, you know, stop dieting, you know, all these diets. I myself, I think I've tried every diet out there because I wasn't always fit about um, 15 years ago was when I finally started putting everything together, but I struggled with my weight. Um, as a teenager, I had eating disorders. So um, I basically went through the whole realm of being too skinny, you know, really restricting everything I ate to the point where I finally kind of got over the eating disorder, but ended up with no metabolism. Um, in my early 20s, I gained a lot of weight because I, I didn't want to be anorexic anymore, but I didn't really know how to be healthy. And and destroying my metabolism through the anorexia and, you know, the pills I was taking back then made it really hard for me to eat anything without, like, immediately gaining five pounds. That's when I really started doing my research on, you know, what what can I do to get my weight back down? Um, I tried pretty much every diet out there um, in my studies and was unhappy most of that time. Whenever you put yourself on a diet, um, you're, you're, you're not happy. You're limiting You're taking things away from your life, the things that you enjoy. So in that, I finally discovered that I just needed to start focusing on view viewing food as a fuel source, as something that, you know, will nourish me and make me feel the way I want to feel. And since then, I've just really kind of, I've told all my clients and in the book, I really stress on focusing on eating healthy foods, not any, you know, any specific diet. So is that what got you interested in this whole thing? You struggled, you, yeah. you struggled with your weight, you struggled with weight issues. And so th that's what brought you to the world of fitness and nutrition. Definitely. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I struggled with that for many years. And, and just I, I wanted to fix myself, you know, I wanted to achieve the body that I was meant to have. And, and all that study kind of came out to, I have a ton of certifications now based on all those sort of uh, studies that I, I, I wanted to find the answers. So, so back yeah. to the intermittent fasting question, you are more about eating regularly, like several times throughout the day. What's your, what's your advice on that? Eating when your body feels it needs a sense of fuel. Um, so not even necessarily, I mean, it's, it's gone back and forth, you know, like they say, there's been studies that say, oh, eat something every three hours, you know, eat twice a day, eat three meals a day. Like, no, eat when your body needs to be fueled. We, all of our metabolisms are different and all of our needs are different. 
and and all of our lifestyles are different. That's another big key. So, you know, uh, determine what eating pattern works best for your body. Well, they'll give you the most amount of energy. And that's going to be different from person to person. Um, but once you determine that, then try and stick to that schedule. So if you're one of those people that really need a big breakfast in the morning in order to have the energy to make it through, you know, until the afternoon, then always have that big breakfast. Where if you're an, another type of person that can get away with having something really light in the morning, and then having a big afternoon meal, then that that's your schedule. So I really think everybody's a little different in that. I, you know, and I think too, when, what time you go to bed, if I'm going to get up at three in the morning, I try not to eat after three o'clock in the afternoon. And that made a big difference for me. I think sometimes people come home from work and they, you know, fall down on the couch, you know, make something to eat, fall asleep, maybe an hour after they eat and decide yeah. to go to bed. That can't be good, right? No, it's, it's not good. One for, you know, your weight. But also, even more importantly, it's not good for your sleep because your body's digesting those foods all night long. So you're really not getting a good night's sleep. Your body's not being allowed to rest. So I do kind of recommend that you don't eat. You're trying to limit your food intake to about two hours before you go to bed just to allow some of the digestion to start to occur before you're in your sleep cycle. And, you know, limit how heavy of foods you're eating before you go to bed. So like a light piece of fruit would be okay a couple hours before bed, but, you know, a full heavy meal is probably not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, didn't I read you also have like worksheets? This isn't just a book. Yeah. You're, you're providing other resources for your readers. On my website, which is vitalitytransformations.com, I provide a ton of resources that kind of go along with the book. One, all of the worksheets that are in the book are also there on the website so you can print them and use them as much as you want. Um, I also kind of, a lot of my blog posts and other resources on the website kind of go along with the book so you get more information as well. And I am putting together um, in the future, near future, I will have an e-course that will accompany the book as well. So if you purchase the book, you will get uh, access to my free e-course, which is going to take it a step further because, like I said earlier, uh, my book is really kind of designed to be very simple because I wanted to give people that first step into making those transformations without becoming overwhelmed with too much knowledge. So, Let, let me just ask you this. Um, do you recommend people do their own cooking? If you can, yes. You want to try and limit those processed foods. So anything that has multiple ingredients, you know, like if it hasn't hasn't come from its, you know, true source, then yeah, it's probably not the most healthy thing to be putting in your body. But you can keep cooking simple. And I do have also on my website, I have different recipes that are fairly simple because I don't have a lot of time in my life. So I don't have the time to spend cooking meals that take a lot of time. So I do have some recipes that are pretty simple to make, but are, you know, healthy and easy. But, you know, keep it simple. You know, salads are always easy to throw together. You know, lean meat sources, if you eat meat, um, you know, they're they're pretty easy. You know, throw them in the oven, bake them up. You can, you can cook healthy without being a chef and without spending a lot of time. I do know there are, you know, more and more food um, companies that, you know, offer those, you know, nutritional cooked 
meals, you know, with limited ingredients, all healthy, natural food sources. I have really, to be honest, I haven't had a chance to try any of them out and really look, you know, close into what exactly are their ingredients and how are they preserving? Because the big thing is how are they preserving that food as it goes from them to you? And it's those preservatives that you really want to try and limit. And there's got to be a way that they're preserving them. So anyway, this book is great because it's not just a book. It's like a workbook. All good stuff. Good Good, for you. I, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. The title of our next book, Essays on Surviving COVID-19, Lessons Learned from the Ancients to the Present, written by Dr. Jules Mitchell, who's also a scientist. He's done a lot of research, written many papers, and uh, who were you affiliated with? My background is I worked at uh, American Home Products, which Wyeth, which became, I mean, Ernst Labs, which became Wyeth, and then moved over to Pfizer. And then I set up my own company, Target Health, in 1995 with my wife. And what exactly did you do? We uh, supported pharmaceutical companies in developing uh, their drugs through FDA, mostly smaller companies, but a couple of large ones. So we helped them with strategy, but also doing all the submissions for them, running their clinical research programs, and uh, including rare diseases. Must have been interesting for you to watch COVID come and go and the way we handled it. Yes, very much so. I'm, I'm assuming COVID is what inspired your book. Uh, COVID and also human behavior. Since I'm a scientist, um, I when I started reading about COVID, and uh, I got curious, is this something new? Or have human beings gone through, uh, not necessarily COVID, but other incidences of, uh, of viral infections and things like that? And I had a uh, mailing list of my friends and colleagues that I would, a couple of hundred people, that I would send out newsletters every week. And I would have different topics. And, you know, something would come up in the literature, in the newspaper, and then I would go back and do a little research. And as I started doing research, because I'm a researcher by training, I started seeing that this was not new, what was going on with COVID. Even the idea of uh, not using masks was done in the early 1900s. So there, there was a whole history separate from COVID, that was repeating itself. And as I started doing research, I started going back and back into the Bible, into, uh, you know, the uh, Greeks and the Romans fighting each other. So the, it started stimulating my thinking that why don't we learn from the past? Because as it says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So the, the idea is that all of a sudden I said, wow, there's nothing new here. Why aren't we learning from the past? I ran a company that was totally ethical, uh, not all about money. You know, we had to, we had to pay the people, you know, and make a living. But it was, it was clear that we could have done a lot more if we were not ethical, if we wanted to deny the past. So we were very, very careful. And this whole issue with COVID ended up not being new. And that was, for me, the most fascinating part. And, and we were not willing to learn from it. Uh, some of the leaders of, uh, of our political groups in, in the state and the federal government said, don't wear masks. And even now, with the new COVID epidemic coming, um, the largest hospitalizations are in Florida. Oh, don't, don't wear masks. 
don't be that don't be vaccinated. Do they help or don't they? Because there's been all of this research supposedly that says masks don't work. It's an absolute lie. That's an absolute lie. Why do doctors in hospitals wear masks? So let me let me tell you. It's not a joke, but this is a story someone told me. A marketing guy was walking with a top surgeon in a hospital, and the top surgeon in the hospital said, "Take my mask." And the guy said, "Why?" He said, "Because you're going in to do surgery, and I'm going to watch you." He says, "But I don't do surgery." And the and the and the surgeon said, "Yeah, and you don't know anything about masks." They absolutely block. At minimum, they protect you. Why are they perpetuating? You know what's going on. I mean, they are perpetuating this myth that the masks didn't work. What about the shutdowns? What was your take on that? I think it saved. I think it saved a lot of lives. We were able. Not not, not all companies could do it, and clearly hurt places like restaurants. You know, which needed you to show up to eat. But um, if you could work at home, our business had zero effect. Because everybody could work it out, you know, and that, but but it, but it it was a problem. But the alternative is to have millions of dead people, and then and look what happened in the hospitals. I just heard the other day that uh, you know a lot of rural hospitals have gone out of business, and nurses and doctors are quitting, and uh, so big impact. And and this is not news. Like now, even the the immunization against uh, measles in New York City, the Jewish community. In parts of Brooklyn, you know, uh, they, they don't want to be immunized. So what do they do? They get measles and die. Use history as our as our teacher. That that's the whole thing. And and being a scientist and being a lecturer, and I've published you know 50 papers, and then I've got I've gotten products approved, and I'm I'm working on a, a rare disease now, which I helped this company, and it ends up it's diagnosed at birth. Adolescents can't handle it because you. You go to, uh, you have to have a special diet, but you go to school and someone says, here, take my tuna fish sandwich, right? And then you get sick. And the, uh, but the, the, the issue is how do we educate people so that they don't get sick? But the point is, it's very hard to do that because there's a lot of denial in the world, you know, and they, people don't want to admit. Well, they don't you know, know um, I never thought in my wildest dreams that you could politicize a pandemic. I, I thought that if there was going to be one thing to unify this country, it was going to be that pandemic and that somehow, you know, our leadership would be doing, trying. And I do think some states and counties and what have you, I do believe some leaders did try to do the right thing, but it, there, they totally politicized it. And there are people to this day who will argue that it was, you know, designed to, break us or designed to harm us when, you know, asking us to mask and asking people to stay home. I just felt like everybody was kind of walking through the dark without a guidebook and they didn't know when to stop masking and they didn't know when to lift the restrictions on working from home. Yeah, but the Spanish flu in the early 1900s, everything was there. And there was these anti-maskers, even there. But when they gave out the masks, the ones who wore the mask did much better than those who were not wearing masks. But they were, they were called anti-maskers. And then uh, quarantines with the uh, black plague, things like that, you know. And uh, once once they, just, there was a city called Quarantina, I believe, in Italy. And once they started isolating the ships, 
and all of a sudden in those towns, the Black Plague, you know, went down. They started isolating the ships. And this is what I learned when I was reading. I said, what? And they, they were smart enough then to isolate the, the ships until the uh, people either died or they recovered. So it's, the, the whole theme of the book is there's nothing new. And it's, it's like uh, climate change. There's nothing new. And if there is something new, history should tell us what to do. But the people, you know, for me, um, you know, I won't say people are stupid, but but there's something about humans that I don't that I don't understand yet. Well, they don't want to be told what to do. This is America. You can't tell me what to do. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I mean something like that. But it, but it, but it, look, the price is your kid dies, you know, from COVID. I mean, New York had the highest hospitalization rate, but it got things under control. So that's why then the book was, you know, very stimulating and. And I'm happy to do this because I was, by the way, just as a side note, I was, you know, page publishing did a great job, and and the uh, the audio book was recently finished, and uh, I couldn't find the proper marketing. Co- I'm not saying you're a marketing company, because you're not, but I couldn't find the right marketing company. I identified one, but I didn't like them. But I, I want to figure out how to get this more exposed. That's why I like the idea of the press release and, and a few few of these conferences. Well, I mean, you could call in, pick a talk show, any talk show across the United States. Um, when they start talking about COVID and how we don't need to mask, call in. Okay. <laughs> you know, try to get in, get your two cents in on a debate short of putting together a book signing, you know, going to your local library. Yeah. Uh, Barnes & Noble is just opened one block from my house. Okay. And... Uh, I was thinking of calling them when they're ready to do a book signing. So I said, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm a neighborhood guy. You know? Yeah. What what neighborhood are you in? I live in Manhattan, 97th off between Park and Lex. Oh, okay. So East 97th. All right. 92nd. How about the 92nd Street? Why? You think they'd let you talk? Oh, that's an idea. They have a lot of interesting programs there. Set you up on a, you know, debate stage. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Who would do, I would have to do that myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I have to tell you the people that are most successful selling their books are the ones that get out there and promote it amongst the people they know are going to be interested in what they have to say. So either planning their own book signings or, you know, just getting out in their community. I'm sure you're known in your community. How long have you lived up there? Forever. Yeah, so people know who you are. Oh, yeah, no, and, and, and um, what I told uh, Page uh, Publishing was, that I'm, I have like 3,500 people in my LinkedIn, and I have uh, hundreds of people in my regular mailing list. So I'm gonna, you know, when, when this release comes out, I'll I'll give it all the publicity. There you go. Now there you go. Just contact all of those people. Send out a little a little blurb. Anyway, so I have to ask you: Do you think that's pretty much settled? This came from a lab. COVID came from a lab. I have. I have no idea. No idea. I don't, I don't think it matters because things happen all the time. I don't. I don't like blaming people unless they're malicious. Mm. And well, do you have any thoughts on Dr. Fauci? I, you know, I'm a NIH fan. I have several friends at NIH. I think they do great things, and I think, and he's retiring. I think he did great things with HIV, and uh, I, I think he got. You know, when you get political, I, I have no. I have no. I'm not criticizing him. 
but it's, it's always a problem when you're political, but he tried to be apolitical, you know, when he would get up on the platform there, you know, in the president of the United States. Right. Very interesting. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Jeremy Eichenberger has survived life and death situations, addiction, and it's hard to believe he describes himself as a shy guy. He's been to hell and back and shares it all in his book, An Odyssey of Oddities. Now, you, you, I guess you're joking, right? When you say you're hoping this will finally put you in the spotlight and, and make lots of money. I've seen people be rich on television. And I'm going to say it looks nice. I, I want to try it. Yeah. They say money can't buy you happiness. I say that those are usually, those are statements usually from people that have never had it <laughs> or, or something to that effect. Like <laughs> I might not always be happy, but I'll definitely be smiling in a Ferrari. <laughs> You're funny. Like, Where are you from, Jeremy? Originally from Alaska, born and raised. What'd you do there? A variety of things, really. Uh, after high school, I kind of flunked out of film school and then got lucky and got a job in oil and gas. I didn't flunk out of film school. I, I got scared and went home. But, um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of money in oil and gas in Alaska, no? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went. Uh, I was originally working as a car detailer and, and through a weird chance of interesting worldly connections. I met the tool pusher for Parker drilling and he gave me a job on a drill rig. So, cause he thought I was funny. Okay. Are you still in Alaska? No, I live in South Carolina now. Oh, now that's a leap. How'd you get there? Over the last 20 years, I've really built up a hell of a career in oil and gas and military contracting. Oh. And uh, I took a, a military contract up here in South Carolina. We moved up from Florida. And then there was some discrepancies over pay and compensation. And I don't really mess with that. So I ended up uh, being stuck here after I bought a house oh. in Columbia. So, but now I'm back in oil and gas. Uh, I work for BP now as their field safety manager for all new construction for the entire country. So, yeah. It sounds like you're doing all right. What made you want to write a book? Uh, so I wrote this book because I spent a lot of years um, trying to live on both sides of the fence. Like, uh, I grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood. Uh, a lot of the guys I grew up with, really had a perception that that was all that they really were ever going to be in life was either criminals or degenerates or, you know, they didn't really have many opportunities. So they made poor choices in the criminal world. And, you know, that was, that was kind of the way I thought. And uh, it wasn't until many, many, many years later that, you know, somebody kind of was like, no, man, that's bullshit. It, it really depends on the amount of effort and work you're going to put into it. And, you know, if you're going to, you know, stick it out for the, the worst parts of it and have heart and have faith and, and uh, you know, do the work. And I felt that, you know, if I had heard somebody be that honest with me earlier on, I think it would have saved me a lot of trouble. And so I wrote a book with uh, a lot of the the lessons that I learned by doing things the dumbest way possible. <laughs> Give me an example. Um, <laughs> oof, man. 
well, okay, as a kid, I was really shy and I was kind of a weenie. Uh, I got beat up a lot. And because of that, I started doing martial arts and I started, you know, getting in fights and learning how to fight. And then I became a person that was not afraid to fight. So then that led me down a whole different path of, well, basically, I'm invincible. Um, and then one night in Indiana, a disagreement with a young fella didn't go according to plan. And uh, he decided to stab me a bunch of times. <sighs> and then I, uh, I almost died. I was left for dead on the side of a road in Indiana and uh, got lucky. A nurse on her way to work found me. And, you know, even that, I mean, that night I started questioning, you know, my thought process and the whys that I do things. But, you know, I was too far gone at that point, really. I, I didn't I didn't see that message for what it was until many years later. Well, what, what were you fighting over? Uh, I'm not real sure. To this day, <laughs> I still don't really know. Um, he just pulled out a knife and he said he was going to kill me after I laughed at him because he said he was in a motorcycle gang and, and he was a little fella. And, you know, I grew up around the MC and when I, when I think of a, somebody in a, in a motorcycle club, I think a large statured guy with tattoos and a beard and rides a Harley. And these were friends of our family, you know, they're good people, but they're not people you want to mess with. And this kid did not meet that criteria. So I laughed at him and uh, one thing led to another. He ended up cutting my hand wide open and, you know, that kind of sparked a fly, fight or flight response in, in the old noggin. And uh, then the fight was on and I knocked him down several times and then I kicked him in the head and I actually thought I killed him. And that's why I took off running. And that's where the lady found me on the side of the road because blood loss, adrenaline, being drunk, being cold. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you still didn't get the message. No. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. 2012, a friend of mine was murdered in his own home. But it's still unclear as to why, but that's that was kind of the later turning point. So when I got stabbed, that was 2009. Then in 2012, a really good friend of mine was murdered. And then I started really starting to pay attention. That's actually where I, I put myself back in school. I was... I was going through a work comp injury after breaking my back on a job. Huh. So I put myself in, in school for safety. And that's really where I started making changes. But I was still a person in active addiction uh, with all the painkillers that I was on and the amount of booze that I drank. And, you know, that caused a lot of problems in my personal life and health wise. And, you know, I cover that in the book, too, you know. So is that what made you think that you were invincible or were you because of yeah. the medication yeah. you were on and the alcohol? Yeah, and... I mean, I was a really shy kid. I didn't uh, I didn't know how to really socialize very well, I guess. I mean, I had like friends, but uh, socially awkward for sure. Um, and then when I, you know substances really became a, a pretty prevalent thing in my life in around my 20s because I was in a punk rock band and all these girls wanted to talk to us because we were in bands and we were always drinking and and it made me feel like I didn't have to be myself yeah if that makes sense mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I kind of lost sight of who I really was, um, you know, and that led me down a lot of legal troubles, uh, a lot of health issues. You know, I mean, normally people don't just get stabbed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Usually uh, there's something. Yeah. I, uh, you know, so, I mean, I talked about the whole journey, you know, finding sobriety, finding, you know, the path that I, I was put here for throughout the book you know because I've, I've learned a lot i really have and a lot of people are going to disagree with probably my route how so I, took. I didn't i didn't listen to other people i really didn't well nobody listens until you know it's it's too late they are forced to listen or they die yeah you know? yeah yeah that's pretty much the position i was put in when i i quit drinking and, and taking painkillers uh, I think we're going on 50 months now. So, um, and that's completely sober. And I work with other guys mentoring them to who also want to be sober. I don't like force it on them. I'm just, I'm there for them to talk to, um, you know, and, and give them advice, not like an NA, not an AA, not a psychologist way. I'm, I'm there as a friend. Yeah. And uh, I, I can speak from a position of authority on this because, you know, I don't know how many times I've almost died. I lost count. <laughs> right. Realistically, you know, right. um, and not not for just, you know, because uh, I just made a lot of poor decisions, really. I, I really did. I didn't. I didn't take life serious, you know, and that's actually why I started writing the book was I was convinced that I wasn't going to be around to watch my kid grow. And I started writing these letters that I wanted to be impactful for him to know that he knew that I loved him because I assumed I was going to be dead. And I wanted him to know that, you know, certain lessons and that, you know, he was loved or is loved and and that whatever happened i didn't mean it that way whether it was suicide or by the hands of somebody else or you know um but yeah that's that's pretty much why i wrote the book and then it, it turned into a thing where um it's not just letters from my kid this is letters to lots of people because i i come to find out you know all this shame and guilt that i i felt that i had for all these ridiculous things that I've done, all these foolish things that I've done. Turns out I'm not the only one. <laughs> I'm not You're the not only alone. One alone. You're kidding yeah. me. I thought, sure, you were the only one. I could have yeah, sworn yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. You know, crazy, right? Uh, crazy, yeah. How old's your son now? My son is 18. Does he appreciate you for this book? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he he still has trouble wrapping his head around the why. Because for him, I've always been there. So the idea of me not being there doesn't really make sense to him. Well, is that where it started with you? Were your parents kind of not around for you? So that, yeah, that's the problem. Uh, my mom, my mom was always there, but my mom worked a lot. Uh, we were single income family, you know, not, uh, not rich, not poor probably below middle class just a little bit but we had enough to get by but my mom was always at work uh my stepdad was an abusive junkie 
Oh. Um, you know, my my real father was an alcoholic. Oh my. Who, you know, I admired. Um, but I didn't understand the addiction side of it. So when he wouldn't show up on weekends, you know, it would be upsetting. But then, you know, we'd have these grand adventures and, you know, he'd take me to go scale down the side of a mountain with a homemade harness that he made out of seatbelts. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, zip lining and blowing things up. And, you know, he he tried to be a good father, but he was also going through his own issues. My mom also tried to be a good mother, but she was she had a host of issues from her traumatic past. And I think that bled over into my life uh, significantly. And uh, oh, it's so nice to hear you're so forgiving of your parents, you know, because we're only human, you know. Well, you know, it. I was very angry about it. Mm. You know, I thought this is bullshit. It's not fair that I don't have this and I don't have that. And, you know, my, you know, my mom, she'd just try harder. You know, it didn't make sense to me until much later on in life when, you know, I had to do it for my kids. You know, How, how many kids do you have? So I have three step and then one bio. One bio, so, three steps. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, I bet you're great with them. And um, I could see you speaking at a meeting, you know, but it, that doesn't sound like the way you want to go. So I don't really have a community here so much in Colombia. I have not checked out any meetings or anything like that. I, I'm trying to reach out to some of these sober living houses and things like that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's slow going. And it's not that I'm against the idea of speaking at these things. I really haven't been invited. And I don't want to be that guy that's like, ooh, ooh, look at me. Uh, Everything that I've done is good. And everything that you're doing isn't right. You know what I mean? Like, Isn't the idea to share your experiences because you're all in that situation? You, You know, you all kind of understand why you're there. Right. Everybody's well, dealing I mean, with stuff. Everybody's been there and back again several times. So I, you know. Yeah. My brother's got a really good group there in Texas. Um, you know, and the people, he's built relationships with these people, you know. I've always been kind of a loner. So it's really hard for me to build relationships with people that aren't like single service. Like I'll talk to strangers all day because I know that a at the end of that conversation, the likeliness of me ever running into that person again is probably slim. Mm. So, but for me to build like an actual bond with somebody is really difficult. Hmm. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm trying. It's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the hence the title, you know, like, you know, this, this whole life has been a journey and it's, it's been a good one. Um, there's things that I wish I had done differently, obviously, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dwell on it, you know, and I, and I'm trying to help other people with showing them that, look, man, I was destined for death or prison at one point. Like realistically, let's just cut the shit. Like, yeah, yeah death or prison would have been a fitting end. Right. You know? Right. Um, and nobody really would have ever been like, oh, I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. 
But you made it. You you know, you made it around the bend and you have a lot of valuable experience that you could share. And I, I you know, I love people. I talk to a lot of people who have battled addiction and, you know, battled their demons. And, you know, you should feel really proud of yourself for getting that far, for getting this far. And now you've got this story to share and it's always, that's the challenge. How do you get it out there? And like you said, you don't want to show up to a meeting and say, hi, I have all the answers. But I think, you know, my sense of you for the, you know what, 10 minutes that I've known you is you're very genuine. You're, you, you don't come off like, hey, I have all the answers. You come off like somebody who's still on the journey And if somebody's willing to, and I find it hard to believe that you have a tough time talking to people because you're talking to me like you've known me all my, all, all your life, you know? Right. Uh, So that's pretty interesting to me. Right. Um, I have really bad anxiety. So do you? Yes. So when I get nervous, I will literally forget how to talk. Oh, yeah. But, I'm getting better. Um, you know, my job requires me to talk to people, especially strangers. So, you know, I that's where I I got really good at it. I came out of my shell when I, I really stepped up into my professional career. And it's weird how I learned how to do it because I would talk to people in airports, which is already a very stressful environment. Yeah. And I would just see how much of a regular conversation I could have with a complete stranger, usually while drinking. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I got really good at it. So um, I get that a lot. People are like, oh, no, you, you know, it seems like you're not afraid. Well, but I don't show that I'm, a, you know, I'm panicking on the inside. Right, 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 right. Book signings might be tough for you. Uh, You know, I, you know, I'll make I'll make it work. All right. You have social media. Do you have a good social yes. media presence? So yes, yes, I do the reels on Facebook. I don't oh. really TikTok yet. Um, I, I think that's going to be the platform I'm going to have to jump into to really get some exposure. Mm. Um, but uh, I do YouTube. There's some funny stories. Uh, the YouTube is uh, Defiant Sons Co. And there's there's some stories that didn't make it in the book, like the happiest dude I ever met. You know, is this old country boy in Kentucky who was just excited to share his turkey call with me one day in a bank parking lot? <laughs> you know, share his turkey call. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like that, is there? Nothing like a no, good turkey it a, call. It was a very interesting interaction, but I mean, uh, I've I've had I, I don't know. People feel comfortable around me for some reason. Yeah, I yeah, I'm getting that through the phone. Um, yeah. Um, so, which I, you know, maybe that's the way to go with your book is to, if you're comfortable on YouTube, so that's interesting. You're more comfortable on YouTube. That's where you need to talk about this and share a story yeah, like, hey, I, today, here's a story from chapter. You know, <laughs> and maybe it sounds like you tell a great story. I try. I, I yeah. really do. For me, like the anticipation of doing a one minute reel. So then my brain goes to, okay, you have 60 seconds to get this right. Mm -hmm. And then I'll botch it like three or four times. I'm like, no, this is a dumb idea. No, let's do it. You know, commit, commit. Yeah. Yeah. That might be the way to go for you, though. I've been trying. Okay. 
Yeah, my personal Facebook page is actually public because now it's listed that I'm a writer. You have to be a public figure. So I get all kinds of followers now. Great. So you're on your way. It sounds like you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Trying. I think you Uh, might be. I think you might actually be rich one day. A rich, rich author. No, I don't. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it would be nice. I don't know. Uh, I want to help people. So I don't really want to be like monetarily rich. Yeah. Question mark. Uh, Obviously, money would be helpful with, (laughs) you know, (laughs) setting things up. But uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. You know, are you going to keep writing? Is there a sequel to this book? Uh, So I had been kicking around the idea of re-releasing it probably in another year with more stories in it, maybe. There you go. But I'm. I'm actually working on two fiction books that uh, I haven't really made it very far. I'm still in character development for those, for the fictions. I'm working on a, a it, I used to call it a cookbook for idiots, but, you know, I don't want to offend people because I've basically lived out of a hotel and, and learned how to cook in a skillet and learn how to meal prep in just a single skillet. So I want to release something for young guys to learn how to cook. Oh, I like that. And easy to access. God, a long, Um, long time ago, I did a, I I did a, I interviewed an author who wrote a book called Cooking on Your Car Engine and and how you can use your car engine to cook. (laughs) I've, I've microwaved uh, burritos on a light plant light. There you go. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. That yeah, I'd love to see on a YouTube reel. Do it. Yeah, we uh, we've we found all kinds of fascinating ways to try to eat good food while <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you just kind of get good at it. But I, I think there's a lot of young men out there that, you know, with the main book right now, just need to know that they're not alone. And, and then the, the following books, you know, are just I don't know. I, re- I do enjoy writing. I really do. Um it it was a very cathartic experience to write this book because I could close chapters that were like open wounds, you know? Interesting. Uh, so, yeah. Jeremy, um, it's been, been a pleasure talking to you. You too, ma'am. I can't wait to see what you do next, uh, Mr. Eichenberger. Hopefully it's something impressive. All right. I'll be looking for those reels. <laughs> you have a great day. You too, ma'am. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm Alice Stockton Rossini. We hope to see you back here every Saturday night at 8 o'clock or listen to our podcast anytime on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, just to name a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.